0: Welcome to More Than a Storybook. Our purpose is to deepen our understanding of the Bible, showing that the Bible is more than just a storybook.
1: This is Joshua Woodruff and Chad France here, and today we have a special topic of Cain's wife that we're going to be discussing from time to time as we're going through the Bible. There will be some topics that have been controversial, hard to understand, and we'll have a special session just to talk about those and unpack them a little bit. Yeah, and this is
0: definitely one of those topics. It stems from our discussion last episode of Cain and Abel and a specific verse in that episode, namely
1: Genesis 4, verse 17. So you guys can go ahead and open up your Bibles. And if you don't have one, you can download one. We recommend the ESV Bible app or YouVersion. Or you can just listen along as we're reading. Yeah, and you can even pause this episode right now to go and
0: grab that Bible or download that app. So, Chad, what does Genesis chapter 4 verse 17 say?
1: I'm going to read it for us. It says, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. So today, we're going to unpack this verse. There's going to be three parts to our discussion. We're first going to talk about the views on this issue of who is Cain's wife. Then we're going to analyze these views a little bit, look at some pros and cons. And then last, we're going to have conclusions on what view I think is best and what view Josh thinks is best.
0: Yeah. So these views are really interesting because, well, it says that Cain had a wife, but the question is who was his wife, especially since his parents were the first people in the story of Genesis. So Chad, what's the first view?
1: The first view is what we refer to as the intermarriage view. And the idea there is that Adam and Eve had other children and Cain was married to one of his sisters. And this view, there's biblical support for it, but it makes people a little bit uneasy. It it really does, because the idea of Cain being married to his sister, a little bit hard to stomach. But that's the first view. Very prominent view, several prominent Bible scholars and pastors that I know of take this view.
0: Yeah, and the other two views kind of fall under the same category, and that is the view that there were other humans on earth at the same time as Adam and Eve. The first of those two views that we will talk about is the other people's view, that when God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, he also created other families or other people groups, other groups of humans scattered outside of the garden outside of Adam and Eve. And this is where Cain found his wife. The other version of this view has an old earth twist to it. We are calling this the old earth view. The belief that God created the earth millions of years ago and left it for evolution to happen, for all of the stuff that we hear in our science classes to happen, Um, and that there were many humans stemming from That, and God just chose Adam and Eve out of one of those groups of humans. So there were other people outside of the garden at that point. So those are our three views. The intermarriage view, right? The other people's view, where God created other people's at the time of Adam and Eve. And the old earth view, that there was time for humanity to develop before Genesis picks up on the story.
1: Spot on. So now we're going to break these down a little bit, look at some pros and cons of each viewpoint. So we'll start off with the intermarriage view. A couple pros to this view are that there's some solid biblical evidence to support it. Uh, In fact, if you look at Genesis 3 verse 20, it says, The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. This verse indicates that all living beings at this time had come from Eve. And so that would support the idea that it was indeed one of Cain's sisters that he ended up marrying. Another support for this view we find in Genesis 5, and it's in verse 4. It says, the days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So the idea here is that there were other kids that Adam and Eve had. And one important point is that there could have been other sons and daughters before this. This is just after Seth. And we see only the males mentioned by name. There were likely plenty of females around for Cain to marry from the sound of it. So, biblical, biblically, there's a lot of support for this viewpoint. Cons. Yeah. What are the cons, Josh?
0: Yeah, there are a couple of cons that people will point out. The first one is probably the most obvious, and that is you. right? It just seems like something that is wrong. There are also laws throughout the Bible and negative stories
1: about incest, right? Mm-hmm. There's one in Leviticus. What was that chapter? Leviticus chapter 18 is where God commands that you're not supposed to have relations with your father's daughter. You're not supposed to do that with your sister. And so we have a clear command there. It's Leviticus 18:11. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, Brought up in your father's family since she is your sister. Very clear.
0: Yeah. Little uh, wordy there, but yeah, very clear, right? No incest. We even see way before that law was given in Genesis, uh, a little bit after our story here, that Lot, one of the characters in Genesis, uh, had incest with his daughters as well. And that was punished and not looked at well whatsoever. Um, So those are kind of the main two cons. That The Bible teaches against incest, right? And that, well, culturally, even nowadays, and back then, incest was
1: not looked at highly. Exactly. In our modern day and age, no one, believer or unbeliever, would accept incest as being okay, except for maybe a few people in the Mormon church and in some cultures. It's very rare. Universally, in modern culture, and for most of history, it's been looked upon as being not okay at all. And we have biblical commands. So yeah. in conclusion, in our marriage view, it seems that we have biblical support for it, has something to stand on from the Bible, but there are also some biblical arguments against it because incest is sin. Yeah. Yeah, and you brought up an interesting point kind
0: of before this discussion. I mean, if we look at incest being prohibited in the Bible, then what ground does this passage have?
1: Why can people view this view? Exactly. So I think that's a good summary of intermarriage view. The other people's view, pros to that view, Josh, what would they be?
0: Yeah, so the other people's view, you know, the view that um, God created other humans on earth at that time. I mean, the first one is, well, it is not as gross as the intermarriage view. It is easier for us to stomach. Because, well, Cain wouldn't have married his wife, or married his sister. Um, But beyond that, there's not really much else. I mean, it's easier for us to stomach, it makes us feel better, right? But there is no evidence in the Bible that God created other groups of humans around Adam and Eve.
1: Yeah, I think Josh summarized it well. Pros for me, I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate here for other people's view. (laughs) This view is definitely the easiest one to comprehend and understand. You can hold to a literal understanding of Genesis 1, six 24-hour days of creation, hold this view. You can literally hold to everything and then just go, yeah, God just made some other people. So that's who Cain married. It's very comfortable, easy to understand. From that standpoint, this view is really palatable, easy for us to embrace. But the cons, like Josh said, where is it in Scripture? It doesn't really show up anywhere. It's mere conjecture. That's all that it is.
0: Yeah, and even looking at Genesis 3, verse 20, I think one of the largest cons for this viewpoint is in Genesis 3, verse 20, which says the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of
1: all living. Huge problem for this view, big time. That leads to the next view, Old Earth view. Um, I'm going to let Josh explain some of the pros on this view here real quick. Yeah, so
0: the Old Earth view is the view, as we discussed earlier, that God created the earth millions of years ago and left time for humanity to develop, and then we pick up on that story in Genesis, a ways after the earth was created. Now, this view views Genesis 1 through 3 as not exactly historical not exactly literal a lot of people will say that the Bible in Genesis 1 through 3 is poetic more than historical and that gives us license to view it as not literal to say that God did not create the earth in seven distinct days this view makes a lot of sense if you hold to that kind of more literary scientific view of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 as well Um, And it also makes sense just with Cain's wife not having to marry his sister. This view would make sense if old earth creationism would make sense. But does old earth creationism make sense?
1: And so that to me would lead to the cons on the old earth view. Uh, There are solid arguments against old earth creationism. As you look at Genesis 1, the plain, literal, face value reading in the passage lends us toward that these were literal twenty-four hour days.
0: But what about the uh, people who say that the word "day" in those could mean an undisclosed period of time?
1: Sure, a fair argument, and so that's why this view can be held is held by many prominent biblical scholars. Some point to places like Psalm ninety, verse four, and say that to God a day is like a thousand years, and so biblically this is argument. I One thing I'll remark here, I value that these scholars are trying to engage biblically. Many old earth creationists really could care less what the Bible has to say. Mm -hmm. For them, they go, well, science proves that the earth is millions of years old, so we have to know that that view that it's six little 24-hour days, that's totally wrong because of what science says. So I appreciate the old earth creationists that go, no, the Bible's important. It comes first, and we actually believe biblically that these days are not 24-hour days. So I I appreciate that view. Now I disagree with that view. (laughs) So reason being, uh, when you look at Genesis chapter 1, uh, the language that this was written in originally was Hebrew. It was not English. And in the Hebrew language, when you have the grammar used, like for example, Genesis 1 verse 4, and there was evening and there was morning the first day, when you have a number attached to it and then you have that evening and morning terminology that is almost always a 24 hour day in fact the leading hebrew dictionary this is this would be like merriam webster for english they say that genesis 1 verse 4 verse 5 that is a literal 24 hour day because it's just it's accepted those are not even believers necessarily writing that those are secular scholars that wrote that dictionary And they take that viewpoint. So to me, it's pretty convincing just from Genesis one itself.
0: But what about the people who say that Genesis one is a poetic story not meant to be taken
1: historically? And there leads to an important point. Literarily, what type of literature is Genesis chapter one? Is it poetry? And this is important for the whole Bible. We have different types of literature in the Bible. We have poetry, we have narrative, we have law, we have lots of different types of literature. So what is Genesis chapter one? Personally, I think when we look at Genesis chapter one, it is a narrative. It is not poetic. Why? Well, when you look at it, you have this ongoing narrative description of what's happening. There was evening, there was morning the first day, and God said, this is a narrative account that fits in line with the rest of narrative in scripture. So, and many Hebrew scholars have pointed that out. This is narrative. It's not poetry. There are some poetic elements, but overall this, as is the rest of Genesis, a narrative account.
0: Yeah, and I would agree with that. Um, mostly I would say that Genesis 1 is a poetic narrative, right? Yes. That it is definitely narrative with poetic influences, which makes it absolutely beautiful to study, the repetition of the number of days, the fact that many things are referenced seven times or multiples of seven times, which has deep meaning when you study the Bible, but it is definitely still narrative, which means that we ought to read it as
1: narrative, right? As history. Exactly. And that would be a con then to the old earth view. Another con to the Old Earth view is if you look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, we have the Ten Commandments, passage that every good Awana kid knows, every good kid that grew up in church knows. Exodus 28 through 11, 8 through 11, in the Ten Commandments, it says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You see in this passage it's talking about literal human days. Mm -hmm. Days of the work week, the Sabbath day, these are literal 24-hour days. And then in that same vein it's mentioned that in six days... Same word. Mm-hmm. This is not thousand-year days. This is 24-hour days God made the heaven and the earth.
0: I mean, I kind of I wish that the rest implied to a thousand-year day. Um, that would be very nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that does bring up an important topic that we will touch up on more at the end of this episode. The fact that we are to let the Bible interpret what the Bible says, right? Exactly. Like we, if we're curious about the word day... In Genesis 1, look in Exodus chapter 20 to see how that same story, the same language there is applied to humanity's work habits. It is a literal day. So we both believe, I think, that Genesis 1 through 3 is literary, it is historical, it is a narrative, and thus the old earth creationist view does not make a whole lot of sense
1: agreed and so i think that leads to maybe the third part of our episode here conclusions and so what what does all this mean so where do you stand josh on these issues what is your conclusion
0: so the other people's view and the old earth view are very enticing to me because the intermarriage view is well gross i do not want to hold that view but when we look at the bible and look at what Scripture says, look at what God told us through the authors of the Bible. It seems excessively clear that Cain married his own sister. So while I do not want to hold that view personally, I can't get around it. So I hold to the intermarriage view, the fact that Cain married his sister. And what about you, Chad?
1: I hold the same view as Josh that Cain married his sister, the intermarriage view. Uh, Reason being, that view has the most biblical support. Mm. Genesis 3.20, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. That is very clear that at this point, Eve was the mother of all those alive. This girl that Cain married was his sister. And I think both the other people's view and the older view have a hard time getting around that. Mm. They really do. And there's other support for that and that Cain not Cain, Adam and Eve had other sons and daughters, Genesis 5, 4. So biblically, it has the most evidence to support it. Yeah. This leads to an important... Oh, go ahead, Josh.
0: And even on those points, right, we see that Cain's children had children. So Mm -hmm. who did they marry? Most likely Cain's other daughters. Same with the other sons of Adam and Eve. Seth had children who were his wives. It would be a stretch to say that every single person born to Adam and Eve found wives from other people groups, found wives or husbands, I should say, from other people groups. And the other thing is, as Chad mentioned, context, right? That we have to view the context of the Bible. So can you talk more about that, Chad?
1: Yes. And so that would be the other key thing. Obviously, this view, very uncomfortable for us in modern American society that Cain married his sister, but we have to remember, this was even probably approximately 2,500 years before God gave the commandments to Moses regarding that incest was not okay. So this was not prohibited yet by God. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, it was a different time. The genetic issues that come apart now and even later during Moses' time due to intermarriage, they weren't there at that time. And so it was safe. It was okay. And we have to remember that when we come to the Bible to look at the immediate context of a passage, what was going on, and base our view on that. We cannot import later things onto it. And Mm -hmm. so that contextually makes perfect sense, and it's okay.
0: Yeah, and then even practically, like, if incest was, like, forbidden in that time as well, and God created Adam and Eve as the only humans, well... Humanity would have died off real quick. Um, So we believe that it was allowed. I mean, the Bible doesn't straight up um, promote incest as a good thing, even though it happens. So I would be very careful with saying the word allowed there, that incest was allowed there for a very specific reason to bless humanity, especially with the lack of the genetic consequences that we have nowadays.
1: Yes. Yes. Well said. And so with that in mind, this is the view that makes the most sense. It's the view that Josh and I both take. Now, what does this mean? So what? Why does this matter?
0: Yeah. What's the big deal? We could go through all of this and just stop the conversation now and say, okay, well, that was fun. We have a little bit of Bible trivia in our mind and a couple arguments either way. But what does it matter? I think the biggest things that we can take from this are the principles that Chad and I used to analyze, right? The first of which being that in order to decide what view, we had to look at the whole counsel of the Bible. There are even points way in 1 Corinthians 15 talking about Adam being a literal historical figure and the first human that point towards our intermarriage view. That we have to take the whole Bible in its context and use the Bible to interpret the Bible to find out what view we have.
1: Definitely. A takeaway for me, it is so important when we study the Bible that we take it at face value. Mm. That we do not bring in our preconceived notions and ideas into a passage. When we are at the point of having to explain away the common sense reading of a passage, we're on dangerous shaky mm. ground. and. What that means though is sometimes there may be something that's a bit uncomfortable for us. We may not fully understand how it works out, but if that's what the Bible's saying, that is the right view. Mm-hmm. We need to let Scripture speak for itself and base our view on what it actually says, not on what we want it to say. Yeah. And that's a huge lesson I learned from this. Yeah, this is not the most comfortable view, but it is the right one.
0: Yeah, and there are two points that I would say to that. First off, I would say that we need to let the Bible mold us, not us mold the Bible. Mm-hmm. And the second one is realizing that God is good and his creation is good. His plan is good. And we need to trust him even when things make us feel uncomfortable.
1: So well said. And the last takeaway for me, we talked about context a little bit. We need to remember that. For Mm -hmm. example, we in an American culture are familiar with our culture. We understand it. We get burgers. We get football. We understand these things. But if you were to talk to someone in North Korea and what they go through in life and try and compare with them, it's very different. Mm -hmm. And that's in modern day. We're talking about thousands of years ago here. And so we need to make sure that we try and read the Bible through the eyes of the writer, the author of these passages. Mm -hmm. God is ultimately the author, but he used human authors to write them and try and understand it that way and not take our modern understanding and place that on the passages. It's going to really make it hard Mm -hmm. for us.
0: Yeah, and this ties very much into our theme of the podcast, that the Bible is more than just a storybook, that there are some hard conversations that we have to have in light of reading it, but also that that we can dig deep, right? That we can grow from it, that it does interpret itself, that it is such a complex and beautifully written book, that it is more than just a storybook. So with that being said, I think this is a good time to conclude. Um, if you guys have any questions about this episode, um, which I'm sure you do, you can feel free to email them to us. And what email should they send that to, Chad?
1: The email, which we will also include in our description, is C, France, and that's cfrantz at sbcnb.org. And so you can email us any questions and we'd be happy to interact with you on any thoughts, questions, comments that you might have on this episode.
0: Yeah, and hopefully down the road, I know I would be really happy to do this. We might have a question and answer um, episode of our podcast. Certainly. So until next time,
1: we hope you guys have a great day. This is Chad France and Joshua Woodruff signing off on More Than a Storybook.